our Lord. Well, praise God. I look down at, and I see a whole bunch of tired faces, and I have my work cut out this afternoon. And I tell you, uh, Sundays where we meet at 6 o'clock, I always go home and I have a little rest, you know, and it seems to reinvigorate me. But we don't have the opportunity to do that. Now, the great payoff is that we just had a wonderful meal, you know, wonderful fellowship together. And so I'm so thankful that we have these elongated times just to spend together. And I'm so thankful that at the end of all of that, we do get to spend some time in God's Word. And we've been in this passage you know, looking at the uh, Passover of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ with his 12 uh, apostles, his uh, disciples. And we're right in this middle of this passage where we've just seen Jesus get up from the meal just before, again, they had the meal. He takes off his outer garment and puts a towel around his waist. And he gently, again, uh, tenderly, lovingly washes the disciples' feet. And when we realize the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're just amazed at this passage, at the humility of Jesus. In fact, again, rather than than go down in our estimation, he, he rises in our estimation. And we realize the significance of this, this humiliation of, of uh, Jesus, because it prefigures, doesn't it? It's an illustration of the great humility of the Lord Jesus that will take place in the next day where he will voluntarily let um, uh, other men take him by force and then again be laid on that cross of Calvary to pay the sins of the world. And we realize the symbolism goes along with the passage of scripture that was read this morning in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 18. It says, now, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. And he says, as though your sins are like scarlet, what shall happen? They shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become all. And we realize that's what Jesus prefigured, that washing again of our souls through his precious blood, through again his atoning work that was done on the cross of Calvary. We also realize when we look at this passage, it's not just an illustration of what would take place the next day, but it's also a living example, isn't it, of what we are to be. And in a day and age where people are looking for preeminence, when people are looking for stature, when people are looking for reputation, when people are looking to be above those that happen to begin around us, let me tell you, this is a real moving passage because here's God in human flesh and he says, I've given you an example. And Jesus being human, you know, in his humanity, recognized the greatness of the Father. But he also recognized, again, as humans, you know, especially as sinners, we're no greater than anyone who happens to be again around us. No matter, again, who they happen to be, we're certainly not lesser, but we're no greater. You know, and we realize, again, that beyond a shadow of a doubt, we are sent to give humble service, loving, humble service to those that happen to be around us. And I love verse number 17, because Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And notice there's a double F there. In other words, there's two conditions, right? And the first one is if you know these things. And let me just say the, the if there is more than just knowing about these things. In other words, having knowledge of these things. As you look, look at the apostles, they would be able to walk out. They would be able to say, this is what Jesus just said. But do they truly know what he just said? Do they truly get inculcated in that in their life? And that's where the second if comes, right? Blessed are you if you, here it is, do. Do do you see that word? Do them. In other words, that knowledge of God, that knowledge of the Father, that knowledge again of Jesus Christ and his greatness, it overflows our heart so much so that we uh, gently, we lovingly offer sacrificial service to be a blessing to those that happen to be again around us. So Jesus explains 
everything that had taken place as far as him washing their feet. But there's one thing that he hasn't explained. And I don't know if you've noticed it in the passage of Scripture, but we're going to be looking at it uh, tonight, and it's in verse number 10. It says, the one who, who, who has bathed does not need to, be, uh, need to wash except for his feet, but he's completely clean, talking about the one-time salvation that we have. And then he says this, and you are clean. And then right at the end there, he says, but not every one of you. And that's, a, the, that's the truth that we're going to look at tonight. You know, and what he, what he goes on, and what John again interprets, is he's talking about the betrayer. He's talking about Judas Iscariot. You know, and Jesus goes on and explains again that whole uh, scenario, and we're going to be looking at that tonight. And there's two truths that I think that are absolutely critical, you know, in this passage of Scripture. And one of them is that we realize that we live in a fallen world, a world of pain, a world of sorrow, a world of hurt, a world of grief, a world of disappointment. In fact, we just sang about that disappointment. That happens to be again in our life. And may, may I say this, you, you know, and I don't mean to be glib about other suffering, other sorrows that you happen to be going through, but I do believe the greatest sorrows that we have in this life come from personal relationships, come from people, again, that we love. I think those are the greatest sorrows that come in our life, the greatest griefs. You know, if I went for a nice walk with my wife on the, on the riverfront and somebody came running by me and, and uh called me a moron probably my wife and I would look at one another we'd laugh and we'd go on and enjoy enjoy our day you know and why because I really don't know this person I have no relationship with them but if somebody again I really cared for and I really loved came up and started assaulting me and and started saying all, all manner of evil against me it would wound me it would wound me to the depths again of my soul and what's the difference between over this over here and over here the difference is that there is a personal relationship you know, and all of us that happen to begin right here live in this fallen world. So that means beyond a shadow of a doubt, we are going to have very difficult relationships, very painful relationships with people that we truly love. You know, and that's one truth, again, that he brings out here. The other truth that he brings out here is that this is pre-planned by God. You know, God is the absolute orchestrator of these relationships that happen to be in our life. So when I say that, you have to get this truth. They are there by divine appointment. They are there, and I would even go this far. They are there not just to make you grief, not just to bring grief into your life, but they are there for your good in your life, that you might grow. I mean, so often we get frustrated. Why are these in our life? But they're there. They're there by divine appointment from our great and our glorious loving God that happens to be again above. First Peter 1.6 always has brought me so much comfort. You know, it says, in this you rejoice, now, though now for a little while. And then I love these next two words. You know, I've rehearsed these words over and over in my heart, especially when I've gone through grief, especially when I've gone through trials that happen to begin in my life. And it says, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You know, and those words are so amazing, aren't they? Because they tell us when it says, if necessary, if it's not necessary, guess what? God's not going to bring those trials in your life. But if they are necessary in your life, here it is, he will bring them in your life. So when I look at the most difficult relationships I have here on the planet Earth, the ones that have hurt me the most, even shamed me the most, I realize that they're there. They're in my life by a divine appointment. So this, this passage, again, both speaks to the trials that we happen to begin in our life, but it also prepares us, you know, of living in this fallen world and having an attitude or having a response that truly glorifies God. 
you know, how do we respond with all of this fallenness that happens to get around us, all this disappointment, all of this grief, all of this heartache that happens to be in our life. But, well, I want us to look because I think, again, Jesus is the greatest example. I really do. You know, the more that I've studied Jesus' life, I've read a couple books on his humanity this year. And it's been absolutely amazing to look at his life. He has become, more than ever in my life, my great example. I wish I could follow him perfectly, and I wish I could remember everything that happens to me about him, but I'm fallen. You know, I'm certainly not omniscient, and I can't remember all these things. But I love, again, seeing the Lord's pain. Because when I look at the Lord's pain, I realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, he gets my pain. You know, and you see that in verse number 18, again, of our passage of Scripture, because look at what he says to the apostles. He says, I'm not speaking of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread at my, uh, he who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. You know, and I think well, a lot of times we, we imagine Jesus as a stoic individual. You know, after all, he's God in human flesh. And if he's God in human flesh, he knows everything, right? He knows everything that is going to take place. And therefore, he knows how it works out for my good. He knows how it's going to work out for his glory. And he can go through these things. You know, and I think a lot of times we downplay, and here it is, the significance that he came as the perfect human to live a human life, right? Right, I think a lot of times we have more of a vision that's more in line with Roman Catholicism, that Jesus walked by sight rather than walked by faith. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus walked by faith. You know, we're even told this over in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2. It says, looking to Jesus. Why are we looking to Jesus? Here he is. The founder, right? He's the one who has provided salvation, but he's also this. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same, and seated at the right hand of, uh, of the throne of God. And think of what it says. It says, who is Jesus? The perfecter of the faith. Now, why is he the perfecter of the faith? And this is why, because he lived a life of faith. He lived a life in light, again, of all the promises that God the Father had given him. You know, and he believed them. He walked by faith rather than sight. You know, and what's my whole point in this? My whole point is basically this. Jesus is our great example. In all of our grief and all of our struggles, he's a great example. But he's not only that, but he is the one who understands, who can sympathize with anything I happen to be going through, any grief that I happen to be going through. And why? Because he entered into that grief. And not only that, because he's my great sympathetic high priest, he can give me the necessary grace to go through any sorrow that happens to begin in my life, so much so that I might glorify my great God, my great Lord, my great Father, my great Savior that happens to be again above. You know, so I love what he says here. He says in the first half of verse number 18, he says, I'm not speaking of you all. I know whom I have chosen, right? And we realize when he says, I'm not speaking of you all, basically what he's talking about, again, that not all of them will, uh, not all of them will be cleaned by this great sacrifice that will take place uh, tomorrow. But then he says this, I know whom I have chosen. Now, look at that word chosen. Now, if you were to interpret that without really looking at the passage for a long time, how would you interpret that? You know, and we realize that there are 11 that are chosen before the foundation of the world to be recipients of salvation. 
You know, and that's the first, again, idea that we would say that this is what it's talking about. He's talking about the 11. He's chosen before the foundation of the world. But that's not what it's talking about. You, you know, and you really see that in the verses that following. What he's talking about is he's chosen the 12. You know, and why is that so significant? That's so significant because he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that one will betray him. And he knows who that one is betrayed. You know, and the reason why that's so significant is he's, he's not duped by the hypocrisy of Judas. He's not fooled. You know, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt what will come to pass. And I know that we, we know these truths, but we need to think about how they inculcate that happen to be in our life, how they, how, how they come and how they dovetail in our lives, not just in Scripture. Because we realize that God had a foreplanned, um, uh, um, uh, he, he foreplanned the betrayal again of Judas. You know, and this is absolutely amazing because Judas could have been just as easily filled with the Holy Spirit again of God if he would have really humbled himself under the ministry of Jesus Christ. But instead of being filled by the Holy Spirit, he's filled. He lets Satan come into his heart and tempt him again to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And what, what Judas does is exactly what Judas wants to do. But what comes to pass is exactly what God the Father had planned to come to pass. You know, now, let, me, let me just be truthful. I don't get it. You know, I've racked my brain, you know, for the last 30-plus years trying to understand that truth, and I still don't get it. You know, how both of those can be true. You know, the prophet Habakkuk, you know, if you ever want to see this, you see this in living color. In chapter number one, he's saying, God, where are you? How come you have not judged the Israelites for their sin? You know, they're going away from you. And then God speaks. God gives direct revelation from Habakkuk. And he says, I'm going to send the Chaldeans. And they're going to punish my people. And Habakkuk's just shocked. You know, and why? Because the Chaldeans were known as wicked and evil people. And they used to torture the people that they uh, had conquered. And the reason why is because basically they wanted to give a message. And the message was basically this. Don't mess with Babylon. Don't mess with us. And here is this nation that's going to come across Israel. And, and Habakkuk says, how can you, who are too pure to look upon sin, use them, basically? And you know what the response of God is? You know, after they do my bidding and judge Israel, I will judge them for the evil that they've done against Israel. I mean, really? You know, you have that in... Um, in uh, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 16, it says, you will have your fill of shame. Speaking again of uh, the Chaldeans, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourselves and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory, right? They'll have the victory. They'll punish God's people, but God will punish them for punishing God's people. Now, if you can wrap your head around that, you're a better theologian than I am. It's absolutely incredible, and that's what you have here, because right after, right after he says, again, I've chosen you all, he says, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He's talking about the one who will betray him. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me, and this is a quote that's taken from Psalm chapter 41.9, and let me just say this. Because I think we have to be careful with the Old Testament. The moment, again, we see a verse quoted in the New Testament, we say, well, that's a messianic passage or that's a messianic psalm. Psalm 41 is not a messianic psalm, right? And how do we know that? 
You know, we'll be in real trouble if we say that's a messianic psalm. And why? Because in verse number four of that psalm, it says this. As for me, I said, Lord, oh, Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me. Why? For I have sinned against you. Right? This is not a messianic psalm. So why does, here it is, Jesus use this for himself. And, it's be, and, and the reason why is because David is a kind of type. He's a kind of illustration. He's a a kind of example of the Lord. You know, and you see this over and over because of his kingship, because of the promises that are given to David, and because of the suffering of David. Now, the Lord Jesus suffered so much more than David ever suffered that happened to begin in his life. But his suffering prefigured that greater suffering of the Lord. And you can imagine, because I don't think we really enter in on this, how much the Lord Jesus suffered with Judas's betrayal. You don't know, can you think of it? Because he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt the glory of the Father. He knows the worship. He knows the worth of this one that happens to be above. So he sees more than anything else the ugliness of sin and what sin deserves. And he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt what Judas deserves. You know, so when it says here, and it's worded here, he says, he who ate bread. It's talking about warm-hearted fellowship. I mean, we had that today, right? We had a common meal right here. We had the Lord's table, and then we went back, and we had another common meal. And it's amazing when you have a common meal with people because it speaks again of, of warmth. It speaks again not only of fellowship, but it speaks again of intimate friendship. You know, if you have a meal with somebody, you talk with people, you intimate with people, you know, you um, share with people. And it speaks, again, of a, of a close friendship, doesn't it? And when you have a meal time and time and time and time and time and time again with the same people, that relationship grows, right? We have meals with people that we truly love. You know, and you can see this because a lot of people, a lot of expositors think that Psalm 41 is talking about David's relationship with Ahithophel. You know, and if you don't know who Ahithophel is, it's one of David's uh, closest counselors. You know, he's one of these wise men who would come to him at times, again, of struggle, times of difficulty, and he would come, and he would offer him counsel. This is what God wants you to do. This is what you should do for the nation. Well, during the rebellion of his son Absalom, Ahithophel left David, and he went over with Absalom. And you can imagine, again, and this is one who was so close to him. This is one who happened to be, again, his right-hand man. He was a lover of Ahithophel, and he, all of a sudden he's betrayed by him. And let me ask you, have you ever been betrayed by somebody in your life? Have you? You know, it's amazing because even couples who call themselves Christian couples, more than any time I think in the history of the Christian church is uh, one mate or one of the spouses will many times cheat on the other spouse. You know, and the other spouse feels so betrayed. They feel, again, so low. They feel so small. And, they, they, and the pain is just absolutely excruciating. Some of you who have adult children know the pain. You know, you've eaten with your children. You know, they fellowshiped again with you. They, they ate and asked questions about the Lord. And then when they get a little older, they leave the Lord. In fact, they scorn and ridicule and sometimes even mock your faith in Jesus Christ. And someone, again, you should feel close to, all of a sudden, it curses the God, very God that you love, that you adore, that you trust in. And you realize their only hope for eternity happens to be this God. 
And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, it feels like a betrayal. It feels like a sting at the deepest recesses of your soul that you can't even describe it. You know, and if you've ever been in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you felt this pain. You know, there's a reason why we call ourselves brothers and sisters in the Lord. And why? Because we have deep relationships. You know, a lot of times we can say blood is thicker than water. And it means, again, if you happen to be, again, of an earthly family, it's really, really, really connects. But if you happen to be just friends, you know, outside, well, let me tell you, we are blood-bought citizens, again, of heaven. And because of that, we have these deep, meaningful relationships. I can remember going for a two-hour hike with this guy. You know, he was a new believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, I had the uh, opportunity to disciple him. And I can remember for two hours, we talked about the Lord. We talked about serving the Lord. We talked about, again, who he, was, who he was and who he is. We talked about, again, him coming back and the mighty rapture and how great that, that was going to be. And, you know, sometime again later, he left Christianity, left the church. He cursed the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can remember the deep pain, the deep agony that I felt. And let me just say, I felt that over and over and over and over as you watch this person leave or you watch that person leave or you watch that person forsake the Lord. You know, and you see it and you feel that great pain that happens to be again in each one of our hearts. And let me ask you again, have you ever felt that betrayal? You know, have you ever felt that, you know, somebody going against you and wounding you in the deepest recesses of your heart? Because when you read this passage of scripture the glory that it gives you is there somebody that understands your pain there's somebody in humanity that really gets the pain gets the sorrow gets the agony that you feel you know we we see this uh, in john chapter 13 verse number 21 which we're not going to be looking at tonight but look at what, what he says after saying these things after teaching them of the significance of washing the feet and what that again preluded to it says this Jesus was troubled in spirit. Now, let me ask you the question. Why is he troubled in spirit? And if the passage stopped right there, we'd say it's the cross. You know, it's his cross. It's the agony of the cross. It's the desertion that he's going to feel on the cross. But listen to what it says. And Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Can you feel the anguish? Can you feel the sorrow? Can you feel the heartache? Nobody gets it. Nobody understands. And you might be right. Nobody around you might understand. But let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is one that gets your heartache. He's the Lord. And if he is the great high priest who is the right hand of the Father at, at hand, let me, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, he knows the grace you need. He knows the mercy you need that you might live that life of faith before him. I mean, think of it. You know, when you have that kind of knowledge and you read Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16, you'll never read it the same again. Because listen to what it says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's able. He's entered into that life. But one who in every respect, whatever you're going through, whatever pain, whatever sorrow, whatever uh, betrayal you're feeling, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And because of that, he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Now, if that doesn't stir your heart, 
If that doesn't amaze your heart, what a Jesus, what a Savior, what a Lord that we have, no matter what we're going through in this life, should encourage us to draw near. There is one that gets us, and there's one who is able to provide whatever we need through the heartaches. He's our Lord, he's our Savior, and he's also our great comforter. Now we have that. It also prepares us, Jesus also prepares us for these sorrows that happen to begin in our life. And I love what he says in verses 19 and 20, because as what he says, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am here. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Well, you know, this is incredible, because this is all talking about the sovereignty of God, isn't it? It's talking about, again, the preordained plan that happened to be again of a God. And it's telling us that we're going to have sorrows, we're going to have disappointments, we're going to have griefs, we're going to have, again, anguish beyond recognition. God describes it to happen to begin in his word. And it's not a mistake. When you look at Paul, Paul had some fellow workers, some fellow companions, some fellow ministers who actually went against him and caused him huge turmoil and huge grief that happened to begin in his life. And I think a lot of times the reason why I bring this up is I think we think the Word of God many times is a puzzle book. Do you know what a puzzle book is? You know, if you've ever seen a puzzle book, a puzzle book is basically there's different codes, and if you can just figure out the code, you can figure out the solution. And I think this is what the Word of God, a lot of people look at the Word of God. If I can just figure out the puzzle, the code that the Lord has given me, then I could live my best life now. Then I, then I won't have any difficulties. I won't have any problems. The Lord will take all of his anguish, all of his sorrow, all of his strife, all of these things that happen to begin in my life. And let me just say this as sweetly as possible. The word of God says the exact opposite. Right? We know this. We do. You know, but we need to be reminded time and time and time again. You know, because we realize 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire... Right? If you have a desire to glorify God, it says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, what? Will be persecuted. Not might, but will. You know, when we realize this, and think of Paul. Paul's going and he's planting all these churches. He plants this church and this church and this church and this church. And then he comes back through the region again, and guess what he does? He, he uh, disciples many you know, and this is how he discipled them. This is how he encouraged them. You know, in Acts chapter 14, verse number 22, he says, Strengthen the souls of the disciples. Encourage them to continue in the faith. Well, how did he do that? Here it is. And saying that through many tribulations, right, many trials that happen to be in our life, we must enter the kingdom of God. So think of the things that you're going through. Think of the sorrow. Think of the relationships that have gone in the opposite direction. You never thought they would go through. Think of all of that because we think there must be something wrong with God's plan or this isn't God's plan. Let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the plan of God. It really is the plan of God. One of you is going to betray me. And he says in verse number 19, I'm telling you this now, why? Before it takes place, why? That when it takes place, when it does take place, you may believe that I am here. Right? Amazing, isn't it? Right? I'm telling you that I'm the author of all of these things. God the Father is the author of all these things. Why? That when they come to pass, 
you may know and believe on me. Now, think of that. Now, certainly it came into brighter focus um, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But think if Jesus didn't say this beforehand. You know, think here, here's Jesus raised from the grave. But what are some of the questions that might go through the disciples' minds? They might look at Judas, and no doubt many of them had a relationship with Judas. Many of them loved Judas. Maybe all of them loved Judas. But there is Judas. He fooled us all. You know, he went in that opposite direction. Jesus said beyond a shadow of a doubt that no man will snatch you out of my hand. There is nothing in all of eternity that can snatch me out of, out of, my, uh, out of his hand or out of the Father's hand. And yet look at Judas. You know, did Jesus not see this coming? And if he didn't see this coming, is he really able to keep me? You know, what promises can I really bank on? And he says this, I'm telling you beforehand, I'm telling you beforehand that when it comes to pass, here it is, that you may believe on me, that you may trust in me and trust in my absolute sovereign plan. And it's the same with us. You know, as we look at our life, as we look at our difficult relationships, as we look at living in this fallen world full of grief, you know, why, why has God told us these things? That when it comes to pass, our trust might be in Jesus and him alone. But not only trust in him, but seek to glorify him, seek to make much of him. Because in verse number 20, it says this, truly, truly, I say unto you. In other words, again, get this. Let me just say this about the truly, truly statements. The truly, truly statements are there to catch our attention, right? Because it's basically saying this. If you don't think about the truly, truly statement, you're not going to get the point. This is important for you to get because if you don't see this, guess what? You're going to trust in something else. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me, receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Now, let me just say this. You know, when I first read this passage of Scripture and I came to verse number 20, I tried to figure out the passage of Scripture before I go to any commentaries, before I go to any extra rereading. I start to to think, you know, what does he mean by this? You know, somebody's going to betray. I told you beforehand, you know, so that you will trust in me. And then he says, the one who receives... Uh, the, uh, the, the one who receives, the one I sent, receives me, and the one who receives me, receives, receives the Father. You know, what's he mean by that? Because it almost seems like out of place. It almost seems like I should read it in one of the epistles rather than in this passage of Scripture. What's he talking about? You know, and that last phrase, again, isn't difficult to discern. It's, it says, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me, Right? And when we look at that last little piece that happened to be right there, it's really easy because we realize the Father and the Son are a package deal, right? You can't divide the Godhead. We have three persons, three distinct persons in one being of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So if you receive the Son, you, know, you have to receive the Father. And if, you, and if you have the Father, you have the Son. And we realize that. That's the truth that's taught over and over in the Word of God. The hard part here is this, whoever receives, the one, whoever receives the one I sent receives me. I mean, what's he mean by that? You know, because he's already told us again about this grief. He's already told us again of all this to come. And it's amazing because when you look at that word send there, do you see it there? That word send, guess what Greek word that is? Anyone know? And I'll even give you a hint. It begins with an A. Anybody know now? 
Okay, I'll give you another hand because I see some, some, some face. What is that? Th- thanks, thanks, Mike. It's apostles. Apostolos. Right? One who is sent. Right? I think what you have here, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is, is a prefiguring of the Great Command, uh, the Great Commission that will come right after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord, right? Go into all nations, right? right? And preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to serve all that I have commanded to you, and lo, I am with you to the end. And we realize that command is going to be given. Well, here is a prefiguring of it. The, I am sending you, the one who receives. Now, why is that so important? It's so important for two, two reasons. This, here's one. Some are going to betray some are going to go against. There's going to be many Judases that happen to begin out there that we will face, that will walk away from Jesus Christ. You know, it's preparing them for that anguish. But here's the second one. The one who, rece- who I send, who receives you, receives me. That there's going to be some others. You know, and I think about that every Sunday morning. I was up here uh, just before Sunday morning service, and I was sitting down, and I closed my eyes, you know, and I could hear, uh, I could hear the violin, I could hear the piano, I could hear the beautiful music that I happened to be again play, playing, and I could hear the beautiful chatter. I mean, it's absolutely music to a pastor's ears. It's actually absolutely music to any Christian's ears. And here's all this chatter. You know, it's a lovely chatter. And why? Because there is warm hearted relationships where God has made meaningful relationships, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, because it's so easy to do this. You know, here is a Judas, and they went against me, and it broke my heart. I feel the pain. I've suffered once, and then I've suffered again, but I will never do this again. And here in this passage of Scripture, we see that God's word will not come back void. That it will absolutely produce these meaningful relationships, meaningful in that they will last for all of eternity and even meaningful for us in this life as we seek to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture, stunning. The depth and breadth, again, of it that happens to be right there. And Lord, in many ways, we've seen this lived out in the history of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We've seen some people who have been so zealous, started out so well, Lord, have praised you, have honored you, only to go in an opposite direction, Lord, because of something that happens to be in their life. It might be the love of the world. It might be opposition that they faced because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they abandoned the church. They abandoned Jesus Christ. Lord, they went in that opposite direction. They even cursed that name that they used to praise. And God is God's people. We have grieved. We have sorrowed. We have wept. We have felt that sting, Lord, that the Lord Jesus Christ felt in his earthly life also. But God, we realize as we fellowship in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, what we've experienced today has been sweet. It's been delightful, Lord, to break bread with one another, to realize, Lord, that we have blood relationships right here. 
Lord, that we have brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that we have people that we can bank on and count on in times of grief, in times of sorrow, in times of anguish, in times of struggle. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us, even on this Father's Day, many fatherly figures in our life, many brothers and sisters and mothers, Lord, who help us in this, um, in this life. But, Lord, people, we can pour our lives in for your glory. We thank you for the meaningful relationships. Lord, we realize that we put ourselves at risk anytime we have a meaningful relationship. But we thank you, Lord, for many of the positive ones. And we realize, even in the negative ones, Lord, that you are working through those to change us, to mold us into that blessed image of Christ. Just be with us and help us now as we conclude. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.